Thanks for joining us for this message from Awakened Church. We believe in the power of God's Word, and we pray that you're encouraged by this message. Now lean in as we hear from God's Word together. Now we are continuing our series called Playlist, and what we're learning in this series is that the book of Psalms is really a book of songs for our life. And uh, I don't know about you, but I have always loved the book of Psalms. I know for me, as I've journeyed in my walk and my relationship with God, there have been times that I've been going through something, some difficulty, something going on in my life, and I would find myself over and over again turning to the book of Psalms. And when I would turn to the book of Psalms, I would find that I would kind of get my joy back, I would uh, be challenged or encouraged, because a lot of the words that we read in the Psalms is a lot of what I feel, a lot of things that we all feel even thousands of years later. And so it would help me kind of express what I'm feeling as I continue in my walk with the Lord. And uh, today we are going to continue and we're going to look at Psalm 62 today. So if you have a Bible, you could go ahead and turn to Psalm 62. Uh, if you don't have a Bible and you have a smartphone, uh, you can go to the Version Bible app. You can download um, there the, the Version Bible app. You can follow along uh, by going to the bottom. You'll see the More tab, the Event tab. You can follow along with the outline and, and all of that. Or we'll have the verses up on the screen for you today. But Psalm 62 is where we're going to be. And I don't know about all of you, but waiting is something that I hate to do. Anybody else just hate waiting? Like, I absolutely hate waiting for things. And I'm so glad that I live in a day and age where when I go to a restaurant on a Friday night when it's busy, I don't need to go up to the hostess stand and say party of five and they tell me an hour and a half wait. And then I got to somehow jam my family on a bench or, you know, huddle around the, the five of us kind of huddled around and then, you know, doing that awkward shuffle, you know, that you do as people walk by and, and then shuffle back again. Like, I'm so glad that I can be spared that indignity of having to have to wait in a line because I can go online or I can find an app from a restaurant that I could just type in party of five. We'll be there in about a half hour. And then when I get there, I can type here and they'll say your table is ready for you. And I can just slide into that table and start enjoying food. And I might be letting my secret out, but I enjoy the fact that I don't have to wait in line for food. I like, I like it. Have you ever thought about Amazon for a second though too? Like think about how crazy it is that they have this two day guarantee that they're going to get a package to you. That obscure knickknack, that thing that you're longing for, the thing that you randomly want on a Tuesday, it'll somehow get to your house in two days or less. It's, it's amazing. And, and you wonder, how do they do that? It's because they're listening, right? Like if you have the Alexa. <laughs> but no, seriously, like how do they do that? In fact, I read, uh, I read an article that said in Dallas, Texas, they, they post the fastest delivery time and it was 22 minutes. It's crazy how they do this. They know that you don't want to wait for that, that, that item, that, that product, that little knickknack that you want. They know that you don't want to wait for it. So they try to get it to you as quickly as possible. I know for me, I'm most confronted with my impatience and not liking to wait, especially after a long day and I'm dying to watch this movie or this TV show. And so I get home and, and maybe you're like me, you just turn on Netflix, Hulu, Disney Plus, wherever you watch your stuff and you kind of get there and you kind of start watching and then midway through what ends up happening? The little buffer wheel starts going, right? And you're like, come on, internet, why are you doing this to me? Why are you making me wait for my TV show? We hate waiting. But what happens when we have to wait for things that are so much more important than restaurant wait times, uh, slow internet speeds, 
What happens when we have to wait for things that are much more important? We get frustrated. We all know what it's like to be waiting for something. We've all been in this gap between where we want to go and where we currently are. And maybe you're here today and waiting for you looks like waiting to be that parent, waiting to have kids, be that mom, be that dad. And you're here today and infertility has hit your life and you want to be that mom and that dad so bad, but for one reason or another, the Lord has not allowed that to happen and there's nothing you can do about it, but wait. Or maybe you're here today and and there's a struggling relationship or a struggling marriage and you're praying and you're waiting for the Lord You want there to be healing, restoration, and there's nothing you can do about it, but just sit and wait on the Lord. Or maybe it's a job loss or loneliness or depression or anxiety, and you want to be delivered from it, but all you could do is wait on the Lord until he delivers you from it. And so sometimes in these seasons of waiting, we'll find ourselves saying over and over and over again, when will this end? And the question I want us to ask ourselves today is what do we do in the waiting? How do we not waste the waiting? How do we wait well? Because if you're waiting today, God has placed you where you're at, not by mistake, but for a reason. God did not lose the directions for your life. He didn't forget the plans and purposes he has for you. There is a reason why you are right now in the waiting. In Psalm 62, I believe, is going to show us what to do in the waiting. In fact, that's the title of today's message, what to do in the waiting. Because as believers, I believe we should be able to wait well. And sometimes in the waiting, we can forget how to wait well, how to not waste the waiting. And so David's going to give us five ways. And so what we're going to do is we're going to break this psalm up into some chunks, see those five ways of what to do in the waiting. And the first one is this. In the waiting, we remember the character of God. In the waiting, we remember the character of God. Look at uh, Psalm 62, starting in verse one. It says, for God alone, my soul waits in silence. From him comes my salvation. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be greatly shaken. Now, sometimes in the beginning of a psalm, you'll get this little transcript and, and it'll say like David wrote the psalm during this time or when he was going through this. And most of the time it does say David because it's believed that he wrote most of the psalms, but it'll say David wrote this at this time. He was going through this or this psalm was written because this was happening or so-and-so wrote this and this is why it's here. And, but what you'll notice here in Psalm 62 is we don't have that transcript at all. We have no reason or idea to know why David wrote this psalm, what circumstances, what events, what was going on in his life that made him write this psalm. But here's what we do know about David, that David went through some really difficult things, that a big part of David's life was often spent in the waiting. We know that David has been betrayed. His life has been threatened. A few weeks ago, we talked about how he was running for his life because his son Absalom wanted to kill him. And so we know that David's life was riddled with difficulty, opposition, trouble, danger. David often found himself in this gap between God's promises and the fulfillment of God's promises. If you even think Samuel, the prophet, he anointed David at a very young age and said, one day you will be king. But it took years 
for that promise to be fulfilled. A lot of David's life was spent in the waiting. And in his waiting here in Psalm 62, he starts by saying things that he knows are true about God, who God is, and what God can do in the waiting. And he uses a couple metaphors, and I want us to look at those. Because David, first off, he says, he alone is my rock. Which here's what that means. David's like, God is immovable. David's like, when I'm tied to God, when I'm tethered to him, things that would shake me, break me, make me crumble, they don't shake me at all because I'm tied to the rock who God is. And then David goes on to say that he's his salvation, which means he's saying like, hey, God is my rescuer. David's like, when I'm in trouble, when I'm in danger, I go to the one who will get me out of it. He's my salvation. And then he says, God is my fortress. He's like, God is my safe place, my refuge, the one I run to for shelter. This week, as I was reading Psalm 62, it reminded me of a very popular science fiction book. Maybe you're familiar with it. Maybe you've read it. Maybe you've seen the movie, uh, but it's called Dune. It's a very popular science fiction book. I'm in the middle of reading it. But when I was reading these metaphors of God, it made me think about it. Because if you've read the book or seen the movie, you know that it takes place on this desert planet called Arrakis. It's like 90% desert, hence why it's called Dune. And there's these really violent, very dangerous sandstorms that'll just destroy everything in its path. And throughout the story, these characters are running away from these sandstorms, and they find refuge in these caves. And when the sandstorm blows over them, with all this destruction, with all this power, they remain unharmed. And I was reading these metaphors of God, and it kind of reminded me of this, because I think that's what David is saying, that, hey, when the sandstorms of life are blowing over you with all the destruction, with all the power, with all the things that it's threatening you, you can run to God, who is your rock, who is your salvation, who is your fortress. Again, we don't know the circumstances that are making David write the psalm. But whatever he's going through, whatever is threatening him, he's like, God is my rock, he's my salvation, and he's my fortress. He is vocalizing his confidence in the character of God. And we should do the same thing in seasons of waiting. When we don't know what to do, when we don't have what we think we need, we need to remember what we know is true about the character of God. We need to remember his faithfulness, his generosity, his goodness. We need to remember that he is a safe place. We need to remember his power. We need to always remind ourselves of the character of God. And maybe you're here today and you're in a season of waiting and you've forgotten the character of your God. Maybe today you just need to be reminded of who your God is and what God can do in the waiting. Let me tell you, Exodus 34, verse 6 says, God is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. 1 John 4, 8 describes God as God is love. Isaiah 40, verse 28 says, do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He won't grow tired or weary, and no one can fathom or understand him. We need to remember the characteristics of God when we find ourselves in seasons of waiting. And then here's the second thing David reminds us of, is that in the waiting, we we acknowledge our problems. In the waiting, we acknowledge our problems. Look at what he says in verse 3. He says, How long will all of you attack a man to batter him? Like a leaning wall, 
a tottering fence. They only plan to thrust him down from his high position. They take pleasure in falsehood. They bless with their mouths, but inwardly they curse. In this verse, David takes his attention from talking about God to now looking and openly addressing his enemies. In this verse, he's like, hey, I see what you guys are doing. I know what you're all about. He's like, you're, you know, I'm like this tottering fence. I'm about to bend over and break. And he's like, why are you trying to kick a man while he's down? He's like, I- I've been anointed. God has put me in this position. And you're trying to drag me down, thrust me down, pull me down in this, drag me through the mud. And he's like, and I, and I also know what you're doing. On top of all of that, you're saying one thing to my face, all these nice things, but when I'm not in the room, Or when I turn my back, you're spreading lies. You're saying all these other things about who I am. You're messing with my character. You're gossiping. In verses three and four, he's acknowledging what they're doing to him. And here's what I love about this psalm and what I love about the Christian faith is that as followers of Jesus, we are able to look at our difficulty, our opposition, and and, and our suffering, and we can acknowledge it for what it is. You see, as Christians, we aren't people who have a faith and a hope because we just bury our heads in the sand and pretend like our problems don't exist. We have a faith and a hope because we know that in the midst of our circumstances, we have a refuge. We have a God who loves us, a God who cares for us, and he's with us in the midst of our situation. See, it's easy to say that God is good when things are perfect in your life. Marriage is good. Everyone's healthy. You got a job, there's money in the bank account. It's easy to say God is good then. But it's a lot harder to say God is good when your marriage is struggling. When you feel like you're living on margin, thin margins with the money. When you don't have a job. It's a whole other thing to say God is good then. Although it's true that not everything that happens in your life is good, that doesn't mean that God is not good. It doesn't mean that God is not pouring out his goodness into your life. God can take the bad things and bring good out of it. See, even in the worst times, God has a good purpose, a good plan, and a good reason for why you're going through what you're going through. So you don't have to pretend like your problems don't exist. You don't have to avoid them. You don't even have to come to church and wear a mask and pretend like everything is okay. You can look at your suffering, look at your troubles, look at your problem, recognize it for what it is, and always put your hope and confidence back in the character of God who loved you, who saved you, and who holds you. And that's what David does as he continues to write this psalm. He kind of starts now preaching to his soul, starting in verse 5. He says this, For God alone, O my soul, wait in silence. For my hope is from him. He only is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be shaken. On God rests my salvation and my glory. My mighty rock, my refuge is God. Here's the third thing. In the waiting, repetition is vital. In the waiting, repetition is vital. David here, he's like, hey, soul, don't forget who God is. He is the rock. He is the refuge. He is your fortress. Like, remember the characteristics of God. And maybe reading this, you're like, this sounds a lot like verses one and two. And you're right, it does. But here's what I want you to notice. In verses three and four, David has just talked about his enemies. 
He's talked about his troubles, his opposition, but that is sandwiched between two very similar statements of David's confidence in God and in God's character. And this should be our MO every time. This, is, this should be our standard. This is what we should do every single time. We talk about the opposition that we face. Every time we go through difficulties in our life, in the waiting, we need to double up on talking about who God is and what God can do in the waiting. We need to remind ourselves over and over again about what God can do, his characters, and we need to express our confidence in him. We should talk twice as much about the goodness of God as we do our difficulties. See, David turns his attention from his enemies and back towards his confidence in God. Now, in reading verses five through seven, we could see that David isn't automatically able to do this. Like, it's, he's kind of given himself a little bit of a pep talk here. He's kind of like, hey, Saul, don't you remember who God is? Don't you remember that he's your rock, that he's your fortress? Wait on him. Trust in him. Put your hope in him. And we need to do the the same thing. We need to speak the truth of God's word multiple times to our lives, to ourselves. From time to time, when you're in the waiting, you need to give yourself a little pep talk. And you need to do it over and over again. You need to remind yourselves of the truths found in God's word. You need to remind yourselves of Exodus 34, 6, of 1 John 4, 8, of Isaiah 40, 28. You need to remind yourselves of the character of God. And sometimes you got to do it over and over and over again. Think about this. It's like going to the gym. Don't you just wish you could walk into the gym and be strong, be able to compete in a strongman competition and be healthy and then walk out? But what do you have to do? You have to go to the gym. You got to work out the weights. You got to keep doing it. It takes repetition. You got to go every single week. You got to keep going if you're going to get stronger, if you're going to get healthier. And the same is true spiritually. You know, when trials and storms hit your life, you can't expect your once a week church attendance, your once a month church attendance to be able to be there to hold you, to keep you secure when those trials come your way. Because the reality is storms and trials, they will hit and they will hit hard and they will hit fast. But if you are not tethered to God's word, if you are not reminding yourself of the character of who God is, you're not reminding yourselves of the promises of God, then you're going to fall apart. You need to be tethered to his word. You need to be grounded in who God is. You need to daily be working out spiritually. That's why we talked about how important it is to get in your Bible. That's why we have Bible bookmarks. We're just trying to help you cultivate that into your lifestyle. And so oftentimes in the waiting, we need to remind ourselves about who God is and what he can do in the waiting. And here's the fourth thing. In the waiting, we need to be open and honest. We need to be open and honest. Look at what he says in verse 8. He says, trust in him at all times, O people. Pause right there for just a second. Because I love this O people part. Because David has been talking about God. He's now talked to his enemies. He's now uh, uh, talking to himself. And now here he is talking to us thousands of years later. Here we are. We are the O people. We are in God's word. It says, trust in him at all times, O people of Clarksville, Tennessee, at the second service on July 17th, 2022 of Awakened Church. He's like, hey, O people. Pour out your heart before God. God is a refuge for us. We need to be open and honest with God. You know, anytime I do marriage counseling or uh, anytime there's a conflict in my wife's and I's relationship, 
It always comes down to this one singular problem, and it is communication, a lack of communication. And you don't even need to be married to understand this. You know what it's like. You have hurt with another person and you never talk about it. Maybe you just kind of bury it away. You're like, I'll deal with this myself. Or maybe there's a frustration that goes unvoiced and you let it gnaw at you for a while. And then maybe weeks, months, years down the road, you're just having a conversation with someone. And then all of a sudden this nastiness, this ugliness will come out and you're like, where did that come from? It's because you didn't deal with the problem. You didn't communicate the issue. You didn't talk to the person. Instead, you stuffed it down inside, and that's how we get conflict in our relationships. But when you communicate openly and honestly, it can bring life to relationships. And that's how your relationship with God works too. Communicate with him openly and honestly, and your relationship with him will grow while you're in the waiting. Think about this for a second. If we were to graph our faith when we're in the waiting, I think a lot of us would say our faith would go down, 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 down while we're in the waiting. But then when things turn around and things start kind of seeming to work in in our favor or God is delivering it from us, I think we would chart our faith as going up, 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 and up. But that's not what David is saying here. He's like, your faith can grow when you are in the waiting. When you're waiting for the Lord, your faith can actually grow. But when I read verses 8, Verse eight, and maybe for you, it's the same thing. I can allow my relationship with God to decline because of radio silence. I'm not talking to God. I'm not pouring out my heart before him. I'm not talking to God about the things that are on my mind and on my heart. I just kind of stay silent and deal with it and try to work on my own, the stuff that's going on. But even if I don't stay silent, sometimes I will come to the Lord, but I would say that those prayers are hardly pouring out my heart before God sometimes stiff, routine, kind of formal prayers. It wouldn't be called pouring out my heart before God. But David is saying, hey, oh, people, pour out your heart before God. Tell him what's going on. Tell him what's happening in your life. And I think in light of verse eight, David would say, when was the last time you did that with God? When was the last time you just let God hear every struggle that you have, every fear that you're, you're afraid of, the problems, the issues, how you're tired of waiting? When was the last time that you were open and honest with your heavenly father who loves you, who cares about you? When was the last time you told him what was going on inside of your heart? Because I promise you today, if you find yourself in a place of stagnation, if you feel like you're in a season of waiting, you feel cold, maybe you even feel dead spiritually inside, there is a freshness and a power that is waiting for you if you go to God in prayer and you just pour out your heart before him. The Bible even tells us that if we seek him, we will find him. If we knock, the door will be open to us. If we ask, it'll be answered. So just pour out your heart before God. He already knows the things that you're thinking and feeling. He, has a, he wants to have a relationship with you. Communicate, pour out your heart before him openly and honestly. Here's the last thing. In the waiting, don't misplace your trust. Don't misplace your trust. Look at verse nine. It says, those of low estate are but a breath. Those of high estate are a delusion. In the balances, they go up. They are together lighter than a breath. 
Put no trust in exhortation. Set no vain hopes on robbery. If riches increase, set not your heart on them. Once God has spoken twice, I have heard this, that power belongs to God and that you, O Lord, belong steadfast love, for you will render to a man according to his work. Now, I know in these last three verses that we read, it, it kind of gets confusing. David's putting a lot of words in there. There's a lot of poetic imagery that he's putting in there. And we can kind of get lost in what he's saying. But basically how David starts this all off in verse 9, he's like, hey, don't put your trust in people, no matter how you measure them. Maybe you look at people and you're like, well, they've got money. They've got education, influence, power, position. No matter how you measure people, whether you think of them as a low kind of status or a low position or whether you think of people in a high position. David is like, ultimately, people will let you down. And we all know what this is like. Because we've either been on the receiving end of this or the giving end of this. We all know what it's like to put our trust in someone only to have someone let us down later. We all know what it's like for somebody to put their trust in us, only for us to let them down later. David's like, don't put your ultimate trust and hope in people, because people will be people, and they will let you down. And then, and then David's like, hey, by the way, don't put your trust in money either, because all the money that you have, it one day will be gone too. If you think having more money will make you happier, secure, make you feel more valuable. David's like, you're putting your trust in the wrong places. Money will never satisfy, no matter how much you have or how little you have. I think 2020 taught us that. I even kind of feel like right now in 2022, we're learning that same thing. We cannot put our ultimate trust, what David is saying, is in people or in money. But what he is saying is put your trust in the God who is full of power and love. And I think that's interesting. I don't think it's by accident David put these two characteristics of God together, a God of power and a God of love. God is a God of power. Everything belongs to him. God spoke and the universe was made. The galaxies were formed. He created everything in this world. God is the ruler overall. He owns and he controls everything, but that is also matched with his steadfast love. And isn't that a unique blend that makes our God? That he is a God that rules over all, but he is not a ruthless God. He is a God that loves and is generous and is a good God to anyone who would call on his name. And I think the greatest example of this love and power at work was when God sent his only son, Jesus, to live on this earth and die and rise again so that we could spend all of eternity with him. And maybe you're listening to this message today and you're like, wait on God. I don't even know God. How can I wait on a God that I'm distanced from? Wait on a God that I have no relationship with. Wait on a God that I don't even know. And see, the good news of this psalm is that the God of power and the God of love, the God that we would have no shot at having a relationship with because of our sin, because the reality is our sin separated us from God. God and sin cannot be in the same room. And so the only way that we can have a relationship with this God is through the finished work of Jesus. And so maybe you're here today and you're in a season of waiting and you realize that you are far from God. You don't have a relationship with this God. 
but you want a relationship with him. And where you're at right now, in your seat, in your heart, cry out to him. Confess your sins. Tell him the things that you're angry about. Tell him the things that are frustrating you, the things that you're mad at. Repent of your sins and turn to him and he will be with you in your situation right where you're at. But for the rest of us today, no matter what you're going to face today, what you'll face tomorrow, you'll never face it alone. And I love this promise from God's word in Deuteronomy 31, verse 6. It says, so be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid and do not panic before them. For the Lord your God will personally go ahead of you. He will neither fail you nor abandon you. And so what I want to do is I want us to close with taking communion. And one of the reasons why I want to close with taking communion is because Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. And so we're going to remember what Jesus did for us. We're going to remember that the God of power and the God of love sent his only son to this earth to live and die and rise again so that we could have everlasting life. And so we're going to take this in remembrance of him, but we're also going to take this remembering that one day Jesus is going to come back for us. You know, Jesus said in his word, he said that he will take this meal with us when we are with him in heaven again. And so technically, if you are a follower of Jesus today, guess what? You're in the waiting. You're waiting for the promise of God to be fulfilled. You're waiting for Jesus to come back so that you can spend all of eternity with him today. And so we take this remembering the fact that one day we will spend all of eternity with Jesus where there's no more tears, no more sadness, no more pain. And that our problems, although they are big and although they are hard sometimes, they're only temporary. And yet we serve a God who sent his son to die for us so that we could spend all of eternity with him. And we're going to do this in remembrance while we're in the waiting, waiting for him to return. Amen. Thanks for joining us for this message from Awaken Church. We'd love to hear how this message or the ministry of Awaken has impacted your life. Let us know at awaken.church forward slash my story.